0: Here, let me crystallize this you-never-grow-up business. I think it might be a male thing also. Like, last year, my son and his friends were getting in trouble at school like for playing, like, you know, tap-ass and, you know, tapping dick. You know, I mean, you know, <laughs> typical boy shit, you know? Okay. And my wife is like, "What's wrong with him?" I'm like, "It's totally normal behavior." And then, like later that week, my dad, who's my dad is 83 years old, I go, "Hey, dad," and, and from my wife, I "Go, dad, do you ever like tap somebody's dick?" Basically, is <laughs> right. is, is is the question? He's um, like, "Oh yeah, no, when we're on the golf course, you know, I'll go from behind <laughs> Stewie, you know, with the club, and I'll you know I'll I'll, I'll give him one." You know, I'm like, "See?" I'm like, you, you, we don't grow up. Men don't grow up." I was waiting for that story to be we
1: got together with my eighty-three-year-old dad, <laughs> and I just gave him a slap in the dick. Have you ever played tap dick with your dad, or maybe no, you no, know, it, no. th- you could do three generations of tap
0: dick. We now. can, we can. It's 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 actually the working title of my autobiography. But uh,
1: <laughs> I made it through. I, I, first of all, I have three brothers, and none of us ever. Got into the tap dick thing somehow. Right. Like there was a lot of opportunity for tap dick. There. <laughs> right. um, but uh, but I've made it all the way through high school without even really knowing any tap dick kind of people or being. A, and, and it was when I got to college that one of my close friends was like giving everyone little slaps in the
0: nuts, and I right. was like,
1: "What is happening?" What? Is-? And, <laughs> and that's when I learned this is apparently something that guys do.
0: <laughs> See, college is worth it just you know just you know you learn these right. things these are the things you're not going to learn you no know, on the streets
1: yeah no i mean my parents paid 28 grand a year for me to learn about getting slapped in the nuts and to actually got, get slapped to get real life experience
0: <laughs> getting slapped in the nuts. not not you not not only did you have the, college, you have the ivy league experience right no it's a whole nother level of tactic that we do right. in the ivies <laughs>
1: right gamble on fellas gamble on <laughs> Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, USBets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by my co-host, USBets Senior Analyst Jeff Edelstein. This week on the show, we'll cover the judicial branch impacting sports betting in Florida and the legislative branch impacting sports betting in Ohio. We'll drill down on penalties for betting on sports for college athletes and NFL players alike. And I'll look up the conversion rate from fake dollars to fake pounds before I throw some bankroll bets on Wimbledon.
0: And we'll also be welcoming Sports Grids and the Swolecast, Davis Maddock, to the show to talk about best ball, best interviews, and best life decisions. But first, as always, Eric, plenty of news to discuss. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling.
1: We start with potentially huge news about the legality of sports betting in one of the big three states. Uh, When last we checked on Florida, the Seminole Tribe's attempt at a mobile betting monopoly in the state had been thwarted, two courts demanding in 2021 that betting cease because the compact between the tribe and the state violated the Indian Gaming Regulation Act, or IGRA. But Friday, a three-judge panel at a court of appeals in D.C. reversed that ruling, saying the Seminole Tribe can offer digital wagering in Florida. Legal experts indicate this is not over and there will be further appeals, perhaps all the way to the Supreme Court. And the big question for now is whether the Hard Rock digital platform will relaunch in Florida in the meantime. Uh, Jeff, any guesses on that, whether the Seminoles and Hard Rock will make a move or just wait until things have fully played out in the courts? And how bad would it be for our industry if the third biggest state in the nation ended up with a sports betting
0: monopoly? Yeah, I mean, it'd be terrible for the industry, obviously, and it'd be terrible for betters in Florida, you know, Mm -hmm. if it was a one-horse town. You know, competition, theoretically, is going to breed innovation, and it's also going to help prevent, you know, minus 118s being the standard uh, for, you know, customer service, you know, all of it, right? I mean, listen, I'm in New Jersey. There's like two dozen books to choose from. Choices are kind of endless. And, you know, if you're a smart customer, without even, like, being a jerk about it, you could scrape pennies and nickels off the ground every day, you know? Uh, I don't know. I mean, Florida, every state deserves competition. This is, this is America. It shouldn't be a monopoly like that. Uh, and as far as, you know, they're, they're making a move before the courts act, you know, they got lawyers, whatever the lawyers tell them to do, they're going to do, you know, but, uh, I don't know. I mean, this is, you know, it's a, it obviously I, I, you know, I, I can't speak, I don't know the ins and outs of this stuff, you know, but. I don't know i i I just do hope that it works out that comp- that it's you know Florida becomes a competitive state it's just it's to me i mean honestly it's un american for the uh, one company town you know I know it happens in other states right now right. it just it's it's not good for the consumer period
1: yeah you're you're right that it'll i hadn't thought about it simply the answer being let whatever the lawyers tell them to do is what they'll do but yeah that's that's the correct answer here. I would be kind of surprised personally if that hard rock site relaunched before this case is fully officially decided. Cause I would just have to think the Seminoles don't want to go through this again, of, of taking deposits, taking bets, then potentially refunding all futures and having everyone withdraw. Um, and, and, you know, if I'm wrong and, and the Seminoles do relaunch the digital sports book, if I'm a sports better in Florida, assuming I'm somewhat informed as to, as to what's going on and what went on last time, I'm probably not bothering to make a deposit and make any bets, certainly not any futures bets, uh, but but probably not depositing at all. There's just too much of a chance this gets reversed again. Um, I've been thinking a little bit about the monopoly thing, and obviously it's never ideal. Absolutely un-American, better to have the competition, uh, breeding innovation and all that sort of stuff. I do think a monopoly can be okay for the players in the state if it's the right sports book. It, it's never ideal, but it can be a passable situation. Basically, if it's you know if it's a book like Circa that has a monopoly in your state, okay, you can't price shop and that sucks. But at least you know you're not getting minus 120 sides and you're not getting limited down to pennies. If you have a monopoly with the wrong sports book, um, you know as we know. Even losing amateur gamblers can get severely limited, and that's their only option. Or you can get terrible pricing like the Gambit DC fiasco. So I guess that's really the core question is just would Hard Rock be a decent sports book that makes the one legal option in Florida a satisfying one for customers? If not, then. This is even worse than if Florida didn't legalize sports betting at all. If they end up legalizing it, and a bad sports book has a monopoly there,
0: I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go minus two twenty five on the yes question to bad sports book having a monopoly. Because if you have right. even circa, I'm not, I'm, let's not even use circa as the example here, but ABC Sportsbook, right? Mm-hmm. They're a great sports book, and they're breeding innovation in the state that's in the states that they're in, and they're doing this, that, and they're doing everything right. I don't know. I'm CEO of that sports book, and I now have a monopoly in a state. I don't know. I mean, it's going to be hard to not want to like make as much money as I possibly can. That that's also the American way. Right. Right. So
1: I, I, yeah. You know? Yeah. That's true. They could, a good sports book could get kind of corrupted by the advantages that they have being the only one in the state. Yeah. Um, there must
0: be, there must be some Shakespearean quote that covers this.
1: <laughs> Probably. You're the reader. I don't know. You got something.
0: You're the Ivy leaguer. I don't
1: know. <laughs> yeah. But I majored in tap dick. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, All right. (laughs) Perfect transition to our second story there. We go from the third largest state to the seventh largest, Ohio, which made waves Friday when Governor Mike DeWine signed off on the new fiscal year budget, and it included an increase in the tax on sports betting operators from 10% of revenue. 20% To 20% of revenue. It went into effect on Saturday, making Ohio the first state to change its tax rate after launching sports betting, and in this case, just six months into the legal betting era in the state. It's a bit of a curious move as Ohio was on pace at 10% to meet the budget expectations for the first year of sports betting, but the state has decided to double the rate anyway. Uh, Some feel it could drive smaller operators out of the state, and I'd say it's at the very least unfair to operators who decided to enter the state based on one set of financials and then had the parameters changed. Uh, Jeff, do you agree with that? Uh, And any other big picture or small picture thoughts on this?
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree. I have to imagine that this is going to be watched by other state legislators. See how mm-hmm. you know. See how see how it plays out. I mean, obviously, it's not going to help the operators, and uh, it does feel a little bait and switchy to have yes. it happen so fast. You know, uh, you know, in New Jersey, just you know, recently, I've been writing about like how they were trying to extend the i gamble i gaming i casino rules. It was a ten right. year thing that they did in 2013. They were trying to get another ten years. Then a, then it was moved to two years, and then they finally settled on five years. And the scuttlebutt. You know that I couldn't like really pin down is because of this very reason. They want to leave open the the idea to you know hit you know raise the tax rate. Hmm. You know, add in you know COVID money drying up and the surplus is drying up. You know, this is a recipe for increased increasing. You know, for, for state legislators needing to find money going forward. Sports betting where it's legal is a it's kind of a you know it, it's an easy it's an easy get right because I, I'm not going to stop betting on sports, if the tax rate on operators goes up, right. you know what I mean? Like, that doesn't right. really matter to me. Uh, and then of course all the, this have you know, this is happening in the wake of New York's 50% or whatever, 51%, whatever it is, tax rate. And everything seems to be going fine enough there, you know? So I, I for, mean, for I, the state anyway, well, right. No, right. Of course. Right. But like, I, I wouldn't, would it, right. Would it shock me terribly if, this all played out that in five, ten years down the line, there's three sports books and the average tax rate is like you know forty percent. I don't think it would surprise me, right? You know, where there's a big shakeout and only the big ones survive because of it. I mean, yeah, I mean you're a smaller sports book. It's you know, twenty percent is twenty percent is twenty percent, but twenty percent of a hundred million is a lot different than twenty percent of you know eight hundred thousand.
1: Yes, exactly. That's where yeah the the, the DraftKings and the Fanduels and all those they would rather pay 10% than 20%, but they'll still be okay in Ohio and and hang around and be be profitable. It's those ones on the margins. I I find this really gross. And so I mean, I don't know if this was the plan all along to do, as you said, a, a bait and switch. But even if it's not, even if it was like, just like in February, DeWine or some other legislator had this idea that, oh, you know, what we can raise taxes. And it wasn't like something they were planning all along. It's it's just slimy either way. Um, you know, it's one thing to set a tax rate and decide after a couple of years that it isn't working out the way you intended it to and you want to adjust the law and that'll potentially drive some smaller sports books out of the state. But to do it after six months and and to have it go into effect immediately, and and it's not even because the 10% rate isn't working, it's just <laughs> you realizing 20 is more than 10, let's do 20. Um it's 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 just really shady and and so unfair to just rewrite the rules like this terrible way to run a business terrible way to run a government and in general i find almost everything about the way ohio has handled legal sports betting to be heavy-handed and frankly like just kind of annoying uh, you know the the fines for relatively right. innocuous rg violations the ridiculous length of time it took to launch sports betting, and then the insistence on launching at midnight on New Year's. <laughs> and, and and now this, you know, on uh, on the ranking of states that I wish would have just copy-pasted what New Jersey did, as you always recommend, Ohio could be number one, at, at least yeah. among non-monopoly states. I,
0: th- I think they have a good case for number one. It is true, though. I mean, New Jersey, Michigan, uh, these states, like, there's been no issues. Everyone seems pretty happy, like, mm-hmm. You know, everyone's motoring along. Like, why aren't, like, I mean, I guess I guess it's the nature of, like, humanity. You, if if you're not making work for yourself, you'd think that you're, you know, you're useless. You right. know what I mean? Right. You have to. I'm not like that, by the way. Be clear. <laughs> it's right. Some combination
1: of making yourself feel like you're, like you have a purpose by coming up with your own set of rules or, but, and more likely proving to everyone around you that, uh, that you have a purpose and you're, you're doing work, even if it's pointless, busy work. Right. Um. But this I, I'm feeling like this could be a, a fun uh, future future Rank, article for ranking for, the states. For, yes, ranking the states that have fucked this thing up the worst, basically. Right.
0: <laughs> Yeah, it's not the a bad o- idea. Ohio
1: currently uh, pretty high on that ranking, I'd say.
0: I like it. That's a great idea actually. Maybe that that and I think that would we would need to that would be like a a group think effort here. Yeah, get a get a bunch of people to weigh in both uh we could even do like sort of a
1: uh, point system and uh people w- inside and outside the company uh, and like come up with yeah. a system. Um yeah, all right. Well, we Put it on the list. Here. It's, it's on, on the, the list. list. All right. Uh, we finished the news segment with a couple of updates on athletes betting on sports and the punishments that they receive. The big news was in the NFL, where shortly after we recorded last week's pod, suspensions were handed down for Colts defensive back Isaiah Rodgers and three other players. Rodgers, Colts teammate Rashad Berry, and unsigned former Lions player Demetrius Taylor each got a year for betting on NFL games, while Titans offensive lineman Nicholas Petit Frere got six games for betting at the Titans facility. The Colts immediately released Rodgers and Berry, and it was reported that one of Rodgers' bets was on a teammate's rushing yardage prop in a game for $1,000, whereas his other bets were mostly $25 to $50. The NCAA, meanwhile, loosened its penalties last week, and while the rules are way too intricate to delve deeply into here, in short, the percentage of a season you can be suspended for varies depending on how much money you're betting. Uh, Jeff, your thoughts on the NCAA tweaks, the NFL continuing to
0: catch non-superstar players, or anything else here? Yeah, the NCAA rules are, you know, I, I guess not terrible. Uh, the gradations are smart, you know, and they're actually like pretty well spelled out, like all the new rules and regulations. Uh, this is all despite the fact that if you bet, On sports period, you're going to get in trouble, which is Mm -hmm. just so stupid, Um, but it's a step in the right direction. So I I give a three clap to the NCAA and, you know, thank you you for
1: demonstrating what three claps sound like.
0: Yeah. And, you know, well, let's let's ask me in a year where we're at there. Um, As for Rodgers and all these other players that don't affect my best ball teams. um, (laughs) Listen, if I was like the GM of an NFL team right now, I would just hire somebody for like 75K a year, make him his title sports betting dude. And instruct my players that every time they think they might want to place a bet, they should check in with the sports betting dude to see whether or not they should. Right. And the sports betting dude's main job would be to tap the guy in the dick and say <laughs> no. <laughs>
1: yes, I, I like all of this, and the guy will be wearing a cup. If, so, it's, it's, so yeah, it, it's, it's, it's pretty it's harmless.
0: Not, it's, it's not injurious. And right. uh, I, I honestly, I think this is a great idea. Where do I send my resume? But really, like, just stop. Stop betting on sports, guys, for now, because you're not allowed to bet in your in, on the plane if you're away. You know, you. Can, I mean, the rules are inane. They're stupid. They're trying to explain them. They're not changing them, mm-hmm. and it's just going to keep ensnaring players who aren't thinking clearly, or care enough, or right. smart enough, or haven't been instructed enough. It's stupid. So yeah, stop. Just stop, guys. <laughs> just stop. So a side note on this is
1: I know that you saw the quote from Jonathan Jones of the Patriots. You may even have been the person who brought it to my attention last week, uh, I think, in Slack. So basically him asking what's wrong with betting on your own team to win. This is the thought everyone of my generation had about Pete Rose at first, and eventually someone explained to us the folly of it. And the fact that Jonathan Jones is now saying it tells me there's a whole generation that doesn't know what Pete Rose did, maybe has no idea who he is, uh, and and is just going through this thought progression for the first time. And it does tie in with the Isaiah Rogers betting, this idea that if you aren't betting the same amount on your team every game, you can be manipulating things. If indeed Rogers was doing a bunch of little bets, and then one big one on a player prop on his teammate, uh, we don't know who it was or or whether it was over under, but... Boy, is that obviously unkosher? Uh, and yeah. and and again, we ask the question: You're worth a few million dollars. Why do this for a thousand bucks? Even right. even the big know. bets for him are still small potatoes to be to be risking your salary over. I Believe well, it's not kosher, not unkosher. Is it unkosher? Unkosher is definitely a word.
0: It's a word. I've never. I'll, maybe I'll start. I'll, I'll work it in. See how it feels.
1: <laughs> Did you know I was raised in a kosher home?
0: I I was too.
1: Oh. All right, yeah, But you eventually yeah. broke free and went unkosher.
0: Well, it's crazy. The story is kind of crazy. I was not raised in a kosher home until I was, like, nine years old. And then my my dad's father, my papa, passed away. Uh-huh. And my dad, like, found religion, like, you uh-huh. know, in, in a very deep way. And, like, everything changed in my house um, to the point where by, by the time I was a freshman in high school, I wanted to ask Christina Lattis to prom. My dad wouldn't let me because she wasn't Jewish. And, wow. like, we came there was, like, a physical, like, altercation that involved here. And so things were not great. Meanwhile, my brother, who's was two years old when all this happened, he's, like, super Jew today because, like, the, he grew up in, like, right. you know, this Jewish household. But my dad is mellowed in his years. He's still – I was just at – I just was at – I drove up to Parsippi. It was my dad's 83rd birthday. So when you're it, – it, it's his second bar mitzvah. He had his second bar mitzvah, you know, and he's all into it. Um, but he's he's mellowed. Like he's, I, you know, I I didn't marry someone who's Jewish, and you know right. we were you know. But he every he's cool. Like he he's mellowed out, so everything's worked out. But yeah, I, yeah, I couldn't bring a pepperoni pizza to the house when my friends were over. Yeah, it no, was rough. I, rough I know rough all scene. about
1: that. I uh my so my dad grew up reformed, my mom grew up Orthodox, and they met in the middle oh, wow. at, at conservative. Right. But but my mom has always been, kept kosher and had a kosher home. My dad would occasionally bring unkosher food and and store it in the shed. Wow! <laughs> so so he could step outside and like right. eat it because now he was also uh, a, a big coupon guy, and so you know you, the a lot of oh it, they're the,
0: offering free bacon you got to take it.
1: Well, it's not it's not just that, but like <laughs> the buy one get one from the fast food place. You go to Arby's, you eat a sandwich. You bring right. your second sandwich home, store it in the shed until later you'll go eat, uh, step outside and eat that one. Right, <laughs> this right. was all part of my dad's process. <laughs> um, I, it's always awkward when we go off on a side tangent and then I try to bring it back to sports betting. But sure. I do, I do want to comment on the NCAA thing because we actually have a, a bit of a disagreement here. Um, OK, I I think their heart's in the right place, um, right. but I think they're making it unnecessarily complicated. Um, with all these gradations. I think they just need to make the rule simply, you can't bet on games involving your sport or your school. So so if you're a Notre Dame football player,
0: right. you
1: can't bet on any NCAA football games and you can't bet on any Notre Dame sports. But
0: that if you want to
1: bet on UConn women's basketball, it's free country, you can do that. And of course you can bet on NBA games or NFL right. games or whatever. But this, this idea that student athletes can't do sports betting, but their roommate who isn't an athlete can that's just silly so so we, we and, and we agree on all that but but I, I disagree on the gradation part the idea that you know if you bet 20 different $10 bets you'll only get suspended for one game but if you made 40 different $20 bets you're out for four games or, well, or whatever it yeah. works out to I feel like they're just making it messier in, in general you're, in life if you can't explain a rule in one or two sentences then the rule's going to cause problems don't eat pork Right. Simple as that. <laughs> right. Maybe that's really what, where the kosher rules uh, came from was just like making it as simple as possible, except they don't. Then there's like meats that don't mix meats and
0: cheeses. They didn't right, stick right. to the, the simplicity hooves, of it. Right. There's right. hooves involved. Right.
1: cloven hooves. Do they chew
0: their own cut? It's a whole right. thing. I don't even know what cut is. Uh, <laughs> the, sho- the whole shellfish thing, bottom uh, feeding. There's a lot. Uh, yeah. There's a lot. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of Gambling. Let's get to the Gambleon interview.
1: Jeff and I are way too old to incorporate words like swole or take spelled T-A-E-K into conversations without seeming like complete assholes and drawing massive eye rolls from our wives and kids. But we now welcome to the pod someone a bit younger than we are who can pull it off. He hosts the Swole cast and the Take cast. He works for Roto Grinders and Sports Grid. He is Davis Maddock. Davis, welcome to Gamble On.
2: Hey, very, very glad to be here. My wife would probably say I'm a bit too old because, you know, I I started doing this whole thing when I was very young and now I'm in my I'm in my 30s. So it does it feels a little bit less appropriate with each passing year. <laughs>
1: <laughs> kind of aged out of it. But uh, well, relative to us, you can certainly still pull it off. So um, so correct me if I'm wrong, Davis, but I, I believe working in the fantasy gambling space has always been your career. So uh, two part question. When did you realize you could or would make a career out of this? And what were you potentially headed toward doing otherwise?
2: Uh, Well, I majored in English literature at Kansas State University. So not even of the two uh, state universities in Kansas, not even the humanities uh, creative school that would have been. That would have been Kansas University. But K-State gave me more scholarship money. I would have been... Probably I, I would have just gotten my master's in English literature and probably would have been uh, like an adjunct professor, probably would have spent my entire life making very little money writing, uh, you know, awful poems and, and novellas <laughs> and, and whatnot. Um, but I got super, I've always played fantasy football and I started doing small gig. This used to be a thing. It's not really anymore, but used to just be a wide gig. You could just basically write copy. For like 25 50 bucks uh for any you could get on craigslist and you could find them and i did that for fantasy sports for a while and then it's been so long i forget exactly but i met david kitchen on on the internet who started fantasy insiders and he gave me uh my first job the basically the day i graduated he was like do you want a job full-time cause i'd been doing part-time work for him
0: so you are in history, as it turns out.
2: I am in David Kitchen's <laughs> tree. I am in David Kitchen's tree. Really, it, it just sort of happened by accident. the The work I was doing part time just basically became um, a full time job as I graduated school. Uh, but I, I and I put myself through college. DFS used to be a lot lot easier back in the day. It used to be able to basically sort of like poker in the early two thousands. It was you didn't have to be particularly smart or particularly adept at numbers or anything to make money at it not that way now but it was that way then
1: okay so it was so wh- it was while you were still in college that you first started doing some side work in the industry and then finished yeah. college and were able to just transition from there into full time
2: yes yeah it wasn't it wasn't really like a conscious decision it was just sort of like well this is my day-to-day anyways so i'll just make it my day-to-day uh and and not have to go to class really was was really the change
0: <laughs> right so how, how many hours a day uh, these days do you spend writing awful poetry
2: uh none. None. I haven't I so so during COVID I tried to write a book. I tried to write a nonfiction book and a fiction book. I, I gave an attempt at both, and they were both just, you know, it you you have to be very disciplined. You have to be very disciplined, you have to work really hard, and uh both both just fell by the wayside. Maybe someday, you know, that's sort of always the the dream because uh if you have a good nonfiction book. That can be passive income for a long time. If you have a good nonfiction book, it does, and, and even at the level I would write it, even 500 bucks a month of sales of that book would be attainable and doable, but I haven't put my nose to the grindstone on that yet.
0: Can you well, vouch for that, Raskin?
2: Uh, yeah, I was just about to
1: say, I published a nonfiction book about 10 years ago, and uh, these days I get a check for about between 50 and $60 about every 15 months. So...
2: <laughs> it's passive income. <laughs> it's passive yes, income.
1: It is. Not enough to live on, but uh, the, when the check arrives, I always forget I've even written the book, and then the check arrives, and so that is kind of nice.
0: But that's why we're all pulling for Chris Moneymaker to to win a second uh, main event bracelet, so our okay. could get more money every month. Right. Exactly. Uh, Davis, as a devout DFS or best baller, to borrow one of your spoil cast catchphrases, aren't you worried that technology is going to outpace our little brains here? Um, and these games are going to get close to being solved or, you know, or close to it. Um, and with that in mind, ha- have you changed the way you approach DFS, the way you approach best ball, knowing that there's like, you know, that anybody now can like see, you know, up to the minute projections and now, and again, some of these newer, you know, I don't know, even you know what you're calling, but Sims, I guess, are, are really like, you know, doing that extra level of work with what other people are going to do. And, you know, well, how has it changed and, and how you, what are you doing to combat it?
2: Um, I mean, DFS, yes. Like, so one of the trade-offs I made in my life was I bought this house that, I, that I'm in right now. And one of those trade-offs was uh, the, the money that I had that was my gambling role. A lot of that trends, because I wanted to get twenty percent down. I didn't want to pay PMI and all that stuff. So, you know, that's twenty thousand, twenty-five thousand dollars that uh, used to be sitting, you know, not gaining interest in a DraftKings account or FanDuel <laughs> account or whatever, and is now sitting in this house. Um, so that was that. That kind of partly plays into it, but really, it's just more. I don't. I am not sophisticated enough with computers and with math to build a model that would make me a profitable one hundred and fifty maxer. And also 150 maxing is just a lot of work, uh, especially for NBA. It's still a lot of work for baseball, but a lot of work for NBA. And I'm not really interested in grinding DFS for a living. Uh, when when you get a nice hit in DFS, that's great. Go out, get a nice dinner, you, you buy whatever, you know, dumb, dumb thing. But I, and it's just too hard. It's just too hard. So my DFS play has changed a lot, uh, mostly mid stakes, Single entry for football, fifty to two hundred dollar stuff for for NFL. Uh, really only play in the summers for missions on DraftKings. They've they've done this great thing to gamify the system. Uh, you know, so I play a baseball slate every single day to get my mission, to get my crowns, to get my Iron Man achievement on DraftKings. So I never I never miss that. Uh, but but soccer DFS is actually my favorite thing to play. And you know that that's not that's not going on right now. As for as for solving a best ball, I'm not worried about it for play because so much of that dynamic stuff, I actually think a human brain is going to be better at processing it. And the trade off you make when you're doing 150 max is my brain could actually make 150 better lineups than my computer for most people. But it's a time trade off and it's a ease of use trade off uh like you know building 150 lives by hand i've done it once i would never do it again (laughs) Uh, i i did it once for um the u.s women won for the world cup in 2018 and they did a it was going to overlay and it was crazy and i did 150 by hand for that and i wouldn't for uh, women's soccer showdown and i would never do it again
0: yeah, when it's I when, too you, much. when you see that overlay brew my thumbs can't go fast enough, you know, and so now <laughs> I get I just lose faster is what it amounts to.
2: <laughs> but the the more worrying thing I think actually is just about what I love, which is just thinking about thinking about best ball, right? Like <laughs> I love I love I love to talk about it. I love to think about it. I love to talk to other people who are thinking about it and be like, uh, you know, how optimal is this? How optimal is that? And um, I mean, if we have the answers to those questions, it's like. When you when you do uh, when you have a conversation about poker these days, or when you listen to a poker podcast, they talk about a hand. It's not, oh well, you know, I think you could have done this. It's oh well, the solver says you should do this thirty percent of the time. The solver says you should do that seventy percent of the time, and that's that. You know, right. um, and that is uh, less. It's just less interesting, right? It just it just is less interesting
0: makes me already feel better about taking Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, Justin Herbert ahead of ADP all day long.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Because, because if you're, if you're, and, and the dynamic tools that do exist actually say like stuff like that is good. Uh, My, my friend, Eric built a tool that basically like dynamically ranks players as you go through your draft does uh, some like rudimentary Sims based on like, okay, so you took Keenan Allen that makes Herbert 10 spots ahead of ADP. And then when you take Mm -hmm. Herbert, makes Gerald Everett 20 spots better than his ADP based on uh, the combinatorics of what you would need in the given weeks. Uh, and I think stuff like that, I would guess next off season, there will be public facing things that you can pay, whether it be establish the run or rotor grinders or whoever, my guess is they're going to be uh draft aids, draft caddies, draft tools or whatever that do that for you. And I would also guess by next off season, there's going to be enough money, enough contests that, a lot of these guys who are professional gamblers and are like, there's just not enough money in best ball. Uh, the the realization of the EV, you know, if there's only for NFL DFS, there's a million dollar. Con- how many? What are there? Twenty million dollar NFL contests a year? Probably, probably yeah. even more. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's one or two right. DraftKings, King, Draft DraftKings and uh, Underdog. But if you with more contests, more availability, more ways to get uh, money and good, I would guess, you know, your your awesomeos, your Uta cow's, these guys are going to build tools and just have their computers draft for them.
0: So this is the year if I if I'm planning to win the million the, the million dollar prize I should uh, well three million dollar prize this I should go all in this year is what you're saying I hear it loud and clear Davis I, yeah, I, well, yeah
2: that it. is that is literally exactly <laughs> what I'm saying yeah
1: well listening to you two go back and forth on all this is uh, flashing me back to just a few weeks ago when I was uh, listening to Jeff on, on the Takecast with you um, and I, I was particularly impressed uh, with your ability on on that Davis to to dive into Pretty much whatever topic came up, even if it had nothing to do with gambling or or fantasy. Um, So, another two-part question for me here: Who's your all-time dream guest that you haven't landed yet from the gambling world, and who would be your dream interview from beyond the gambling world?
2: Uh, Tom Dwan, probably Mm -hmm. from from the gambling world. Um, He, I mean, he was my favorite poker player back during the poker boom. But there's so much, at least to me, that is unknown about his his life, like what happened after the poker boom. He he just kind of disappeared into uh the uh you know China, Japan, uh there there's a specific island, uh Macau. There's Macau. Macau. Yeah. 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 So and I just he seems uh like a super interesting guy. I mean poker players often do seem interesting on the outside and then you get to know them and they're not. They're they're <laughs> actually just guys who got addicted to gambling too young and don't have anything <laughs> interesting to say. But I think he he would definitely be uh, my my Mount Rushmore, and then Rory McElroy is the guy I most want to talk to, but with the the caveat of I would want to have a conversation where he couldn't lie to me or couldn't give me um publicity, uh, you know his that his publicist would be okay with that it would be all honest it would be all real because I have never really heard him talk about his Northern Irishness he I he's talked about Catholicism and Protestant like I think he said like maybe in his whole life, like five sentences about it. And I'm would be extremely curious what his real thoughts and opinions on being a Northern Irish national are. And also this Lib stuff. I mean, I think he probably is privy to most of the details that guys on the tour weren't because he took such a forefront in combating the Lib stuff. And also he's just my favorite golfer and I would love to talk to him for an hour. Hmm, Interesting answers. I I have no insights uh, into
1: Rory McIlroy whatsoever. But, uh, but, but Tom Dwan, you know, as a, as a poker guy, I have to agree. He is, he has the most fascinating poker brain I've ever watched on TV. It's just the way that he plays hands there. I could probably go down a a, a long rabbit hole with him that would last hours of just like asking him what he was thinking in various hands on high stakes poker from 12 years ago or whatever. Exactly.
2: And, and he would be, I think more interesting his his truthful answers I think would be more interesting than even someone like Phil Ivey or Helmuth or Brunson or whatever because I think he operates on sort of a a higher level of consciousness like I ju- and maybe this is a wrong read maybe people who know Tom Dewan are like no he's just kind of he's just a normal dude who just loves the he loves the action I mean maybe that maybe that is it maybe his answer would be like I just love. I just love the action. Maybe that was the driver.
0: (laughs) As for Rory, I think to get him to speak that openly, I think you'd have to tie him up, dose him with LSD. really loosen him up a little bit. You know, he he is like, he is as tight as they come when he talks. He
2: is. He is. That's why I think he would be, he would be such a good interview if you could get some sort of, uh, you know, caveat of honesty because he has been in the middle of just like so many, like golf has changed so much from when he was a major winner to now, like a lot of the people who are fans of golf now, maybe they've gotten into it the last five years. They they don't really have any conception of Rory being the demigod of golf. You know, even when he won Player of the Year in 2019, he didn't win a major championship that year. And I I would have to think that that creates such um an interesting spiritual hole in a person that the only thing you want is to win these four golf tournaments. And you've gotten so close; he's finished second in all of them. I, I believe he's finished second in every major since he won his last one. And that, that sort of uh, eternal yearning has got to just really do some like gnarly psychic work inside his head.
0: I have, a, I have a ton of eternal yearning. That's another podcast. Um, <laughs> Listen, mostly due to, you know, getting into best ball the last few years, you know, I, you know, I've been neck deep. i mean, really neck deep in the NFL 12 months a year at this point, but uh, really since the draft is really, you know, when best ball kicks in and, you know, I kick into it. Uh, I formed some hard and fast opinions. Uh, my overpaying for Chargers, for instance, I think they're going to be firehouse this year. Well, what are, your, what are some of your hotter takes as we enter this NFL season? Well, you know, for people that aren't yet all the way in and who are waiting, you know, more to their, you know, home drafts or DFS play starts.
2: A crazy one is that in Mac Jones's rookie year, the Patriots were fifth in the NFL in weighted offense DVOA, which means like, they're really good on offense. Even, (laughs) even if you, even if you just try and be like, well, the playbook was easy and they had him do it. It doesn't matter. Like that's, it's hard to do. And they were uh, just awful last year. I mean, they were, they were, you know, undrafted free agent rookie came in and everyone thought he looked better than Mac Jones. And you dig a little bit deeper into it. They didn't have an offensive coordinator, Joe judge and Matt Patricia were sort of splitting duties doing it according to Nick Rudman. And this seems to be true. Uh, Patricia's primary job in the offseason was doing the architectural redesigning of the Patriots offense <laughs> offices, not, not offense offices. He, mm. Matt Patricia was like doing the CAD drawings to redesign the Patriots offices because he could do it and Kraft didn't want to pay someone to do it. So it just really felt like a suboptimal situation. They have an offensive coordinator now. Um, and all the Patriots players other than Rolandre are free. And if they could be the, if they're the 14th best offense in the NFL, all these guys who are going at the end of the draft are going to be like huge advance rate, huge win rate players in best ball. So that's the number one spicy take.
1: Is it possible that there was just like a typo in the message and he thought he was hired to be the
2: office coordinator? I mean, it's 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 truly one of the most bizarre things I've ever heard. In a way, it like makes sense to the Patriots ethos, right? Like they they famously are very cheap with their favorite players. They always let them go a year too early then a year late. They, there, there was one year we, I had to go back and do this research. This was one year where the Patriots did forego an offensive coordinator entirely, but it was in like Brady's like ninth year. Like it was like, there's nothing to teach him nothing that, you know, they, they could handle it on their own without an offensive coordinator. And I think Belichick also seems like a guy who, um, I mean, he seems like an interesting guy, but a guy who's very confident in himself and a very sure of his abilities as a head coach. And as time has continued to pass and the NFL has changed. He kind of just has been sticking to the same script and he probably needs to evolve a little bit.
0: Yeah. I mean, it really, I, I, the, the, is it Brady or Belichick question? It's I'm starting to lean. It was Brady.
2: Well, I mean, now it's like Belichick has a losing record when Brady's not the starting quarterback of the team that he's right. coaching, which is you, you definitely would win some bar bets on that. Like people would be like, Oh, he's the winningest coach of all time or whatever. Uh, and people sort of remember the Brian Hoyer season and the the Deflate Gate, where they started three and one with Hoyer and um, Kobe Brissett as their quarterbacks. But the NFL, I mean, if you watch an NFL game from 2022 and then watch one from 2018, there yeah. it's almost like they're re- like, and that's a very small time period for a league to change that much. But it is the the really the last two years, teams are passing almost 70 percent of the time, and they're passing very short. The average depth of target was at that 10 year low. And the NFL last year it's it's hmm. it's a very different game
0: glorified handoffs but it works it's so interesting how the NFL uh it, it seems like we've hit a, a critical mass where like they the majority of the teams have bought into like you know analytics you know and like you know advanced yeah. stats you know whereas you know I think that might be the biggest difference in the last 5 years where well, you it's know like, it's a like,
2: tipping point it's like baseball too it's just you at know. this point it's like it's like arguable there are no there are no teams um, you know, not doing the shift, uh, stealing bases. All I mean, steals are way up because of rule changes in baseball. But there are, you know, every team wants three true outcome hitters. No one is batting a guy, you know, who bats one ninety nine, but is fast lead off yeah. anymore. You know, it's just it, the the analytics uh, game has been completely won. In baseball, and which actually makes for a shittier products on on the you know no people don't like to watch baseball now. Although the faster games have helped, and I, I am sort of worried that's going to happen in football because watching Derek Carr try to do the Patrick Mahomes offense is <laughs> it's 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 not inspiring, right? It's, it's really <laughs> not
1: yeah and i mean you could probably say the same for basketball as well that analytics has led to every team just being three-pointers three-pointers and and so then you can get into a debate over what you find more entertaining the, the way but, it used but to be individual or skill
2: now. individual skill in basketball changes a team because there's only five guys on the field right. even even the chiefs right who have the greatest player in the sport they still basically play in a fundamentally similar way to the other really great teams um but like the nuggets The way that the 2023 NBA champion nuggets, their pass distribution, where they take shots from on the floor, who handles the ball most often is different than every all 31 other teams in the NBA. And like the same thing is true of the Warriors. They're way different than every other team in the NBA because you the I I love I love thinking about basketball. I think it's actually the most interesting of the major American sports, Mm. but the the individual I think that is kind of how sports should be done is like the individual talent should actually determine the way the teams play most overall. And that it's not happening in the NFL right now, really at all. Teams just shoehorn guys into the offense, quote unquote.
0: Right. That's what all we right. do here on the podcast too.
2: Just... Who's, whose
1: strengths are we playing to? Mine or yours, Jeff?
0: I, well, the strengths are is definitely going to be a relative term, I think, For right. as, as many e- listeners will attest. If
1: strengths emerge for either of us, we will play into them. That's our promise. <laughs> All right, Dave. It's been great talking to you. Uh, where should listeners go to to keep up with you?
2: Uh, I mean, they can follow me on Twitter at Davis Matic. They can listen to the Takecast. They can listen to the Sports Grid Fantasy Football Podcast, or they can watch Sports Grid TV. Uh, my my show, Fantasy Sports Today, is on at 8 a.m. Eastern on Saturdays.
0: And also, just for all the boomers out there, that's T A E K yes. Cast. Just to be that's clear. Right.
2: Correct. If you, just, if you just search my name on any podcast platform, both those shows will show up. All right. Excellent. Thanks so much for joining us, Davis. Great talking to you. Beautiful. Thanks for having me, fellas.
1: Two men. Two men.
0: $10,000.
2: Will they run it up
0: or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll.
1: Let's update our betting bankroll, and Jeff had a standard sports bettors kind of week. He batted 500 and just lost the VIG, whereas I had a terrible sports bettors week. I went 0 for everything, and I may even have cursed the Diamondbacks by betting on their win total. Uh, Jeff, all you had that got graded this week was a pair of WNBA bets. You won easily on the over in the Liberty Aces game, that won $100, but over three and a half assists for Stewart, she was at three at halftime and never got a fourth. Uh, that lost $110. Meanwhile, I bet on Freddie Freeman to hit a homer and to hit two homers. Uh, the Dodgers scored 14 runs in Colorado, and Freeman had two hits and three RBIs, but no homer. That cost us 60 bucks. And I did a lousy job on my boxing bets. I had $50 on plus 310 underdog Franchon Cruz de Zern. It was a respectable losing wager. She lost a majority decision, but under four and a half rounds in uh, Big Baby versus the guy I called Frighteningly Mediocre, it went the full 10 rounds and was actually fairly competitive. So bad loss there. I blew $149 on that one. So for the week, we, and by we, I mostly mean me, lost uh, $269. We're now down by 2613 we also have 1477 on hold in futures bets, and that leaves us with 5910 available to bet with this week. And I'm up first, and I hesitate to admit this, but I've been o for everything on my real-life Wimbledon bets so far. Uh, four bets, three of them big long shots, but still four bets, four losses. Um, but I feel good about this one here, I'm going to give you. Uh, Shortly after this podcast drops, it's Andy Murray versus Stefanos Tsitsipas in the second round. I love Andy Murray here, and we can get him as cheap as minus 135 at DraftKings or PointsBet. He's a great grass court player, 139 and 38 lifetime on grass, 11 and 1 this year on grass. Tsitsipas is not good on grass, 27 and 18 lifetime, just 2 and 3 this year. They've played head-to-head on grass once, and Murray won in straight sets, although it was a best-of-three, not a best-of-five. I guess the odds are close because Tsitsipas is the five-seed and Murray is unseeded, and Tsitsipas is 24 and Murray is 36. But I watched Murray's first-round match, uh, because I bet on his opponent to win at least one set. That was one of my losing bets. Uh, And Murray looked great, not showing his age, still a top player on grass, still feeds off the Wimbledon crowd. I think we're getting good value at minus one
0: thirty-five.
1: So let's bet one hundred thirty-five dollars to win a hundred on Andy Murray. All
0: right. This is, all this talk about on grass. I mean, are they? They're high. I'm, I'm unclear. As
1: to... Different, different, different kind of on grass, Jeff.
0: Different kind of on grass. Okay. Uh, tonight,
1: although, basically... although now I'm really worried about the people who are on clay. That's that seems like bad news.
0: <laughs> bad, very bad. Bad for the liver, I think. Uh, all right, I'm going. Uh, I'm going basic again this week. Uh, tonight. Tonight. Tonight, Phil Collins in the house. Uh, uh-huh. Red Sox Rangers. Mm-hmm. I'm going under ten. Is, is the, is the, Nathan Iovaldi, if I'm pronouncing his right, he's pitching. He's pitching awesome this year. Cutter mm-hmm. Crawford for the Sox is low key pitching really good for Cutter Crawford uh, for uh, fip round four. I just feel like this total should be nine and not ten. I mean, that's, that's basically what it comes down to. So I'm going to go with that. I'm going to go under ten. Hundred bucks. One hundred ten bucks at minus one ten. Simple, basic. You know, I see this. it's a 6-3 game.
1: Okay. All right. Hey, if there's one run of value there, it's worth, uh, worth it. Right, that's what I think. I think All there's right. one
0: run of value. Okay.
1: Um, I have a boxing bet for this weekend. I'll actually be in Atlantic City Saturday to watch Jerron Boots Ennis in action, um, but I'm not betting on his fight or anything on that card. At the same time, in San Antonio, a fight I will not be attending, uh, excellent welterweight fight between undefeated boxers Virgil Ortiz Jr. versus Amantis Stenyonis. I think Ortiz will win. The odds are a little wide. He's like -400. I wouldn't bet that, but I also don't feel like Stanionis to win is a great bet at +280 or so. The best odds I think are on Ortiz to win by decision. That was uh at some books I was looking it was +180, plus +185, 180, plus and then I checked the Camby sports books and it's +210 there. I think that's a great price. I thought about doing Fifty bucks to win one oh five or a hundred bucks to win two ten and decided in the end to go kind of in between and bet eighty dollars to win one sixty-eight Ortiz by decision.
0: All right. For the first time ever, I'm betting something at 155. Okay. Like I've never done this in my life. Uh (laughs) Julio Arias, Arias, I don't know how to pronounce Uh his name, the Dodger pitcher under five and a half K's tonight against the Pirates. Uh pirates are just fine against lefties they strike out like 21 percent of the time which is you know top 10 of least strikeouts against lefties they walk upwards of nine and a half percent of the time against lefties which is like the third best rate in the league uh Urias looked horrible in his first came back from injury probably has a short leash to begin with Hmm. I, I I I just don't see him getting to the number uh I don't I don't see him having enough time to get to the number honestly um I hate the minus 155. I looked for something easy to parlay it with. i nothing jumped out at me, so that's it one fifty God <laughs> I feel like Fonzie trying to say I'm sorry one fifty five to win a hundred like i it's so it, I'm sick to my stomach over it, but that's what I'm doing.
1: Wow. I was almost expecting you to do the reverse ladder of the also throwing the under four and a half and the under three and a half and whatever. but uh, maybe hold they don't on for all those, do they? <laughs>
0: Oh, hold on. Now they just—you could just go over the the on the on right. FanDuel.
1: Right, five and a half is, is is the lowest number that they're offering.
0: All yeah. right,
1: all right. Listen, uh, if it if it wins, it wins. But yeah, if it loses, it loses more than a typical bet would. But uh, all right, hopefully it'll win. We'll
0: I win hope. Afterwards. I think it's gonna win. I okay. feel pretty good about it. All that right.
1: Helps. Uh, So my final bet this week, I'm not sure how I'm feeling about it. Uh, I'll I'll actually be curious for your opinion uh, on on whether this is a good bet or a bad bet. But it's definitely uh, a good price that I ended up finding and a good argument in favor of always line shopping. Because when I sent you the podcast outline last night, I had found Anthony Richardson's season passing yards prop on FanDuel at 2475.5. And I like the under. It was minus one hundred twelve. Now it's a good bet, bad bet, I don't know, but I know for sure this is a better bet. DraftKings under twenty six hundred point five yards plus one hundred, even money. Oh wow. So we get a better price and an extra hundred twenty-five yards. And here's my thinking. First off, we don't know if he's the Colts starter. Uh for now, it's a quarterback competition between him and Gardner Minshew. I'm sure Richardson will get his shot, unless Minshew is just Tearing it up and the Colts are doing a lot of winning and they can't replace him. Uh, but you know, there's a solid chance it's Minshew the first few weeks and then Richardson takes over, or even that Richardson gets the starting gig, but if he struggles badly enough, they they switch it up temporarily. So that's one thing. You know, he could start 17 games, but he could also start 10 or 12 or whatever. Second, he's viewed as the most project-like of the first-round quarterbacks, the guy most likely to struggle to read defenses and to make good throws as a rookie, and he'll likely be one of those guys who, if his first option isn't open, his instinct will be to take off and run instead of throwing the ball. I looked at his college stats. He had lots of games with, like, 102 passing yards. Um, And third, of course, there's always injury potential. Uh, Now, as Brad Feinberg said last week, the books seem to have adjusted this year. These player prop numbers are lower across the board. So it's been tougher to find an easy under. But this one I like. There are lots of ways it can hit for us. Still, I will keep the bet modest. Just one unit, uh, which on a season-long futures bet is kind of lame. But uh, that's what I'm doing here. I'm just betting 100 to win 100. Richardson, under 2,600.5 2,600.5 passing yards in his rookie campaign. I'm, I'm curious for your thoughts. Not so much on the the number or anything, but just on, on the logic. Does does taking the under on Anthony Richardson seem uh, seem like a good bet to you?
0: I mean, the logic holds. I mean, if he gets the starting nod week one, I mean, this bet's probably dead. You know. Uh, well, then you know. there's there's always the injury hope. No, of it, course we root right, right, for right. something uh, horrible, uh, horrible no, to befall I, him. Yes, yeah. No, right. but if he obviously if he's the unquiet, right. if he's the starter, he, right. it's going to be trouble. Right. Uh, I don't know. Um, I'm rooting for the bet to hit because I uh, have been very light on Anthony Richardson best ball shares so far okay. this year. All right. uh, so yeah, I mean, is, is it a bet? I wouldn't make the bet. Like, okay. Like in real life, just because there's too much uncertainty there. Right. Um. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, you're right though. If he ends up like if he's not starting week one, let's say they they put him in in week five, he's a starter. So that's right. like twelve weeks. You know, he'd have to get you know over 200 yards a week. Yeah, no guarantee. So yeah, that's probably a good bet. Yeah, right. I'll, I'll I'll say 55 45 good bet.
1: Okay, all right, that's all at at even money. All I needed was 51 49
0: good bet. You get five claps. All right,
1: <laughs> wow, and they were quick claps.
0: Well, that's, that, okay, well, the three claps is a that's a slow. It's like. Right. Congratulations NCAA. Right. This is that's like take the money and run kind of clap, you know. Right.
1: And you're showing that uh, despite your advanced age, you still have good hand speed to get off the claps that quickly.
0: Dude, nobody can clap like me. <laughs> <All> <laughs> Come right. on. Give me your next bet. Uh, I'm stealing this one. I'm stealing this one. This is an outright theft from Evan Silva over there at establish the run, who I did not tail this year at around this time. When he was uh, telling everyone to bet Jamal Williams to lead the NFL in rushing TDs, right, I, I think that. he got. I, if I remember correctly, I think his odds were plus one billion. Um, so I'm ne- <laughs> I'm never going to forgive myself for that one. Um, so I'm going to instead just tell him this year. Uh, he likes Alex, and I like it too, honestly. Alexander Madison of the Vikings to lead the NFL in rushing yards at plus thirty five hundred at DraftKings. Uh, Fifty bucks will do, you know. But uh, listen, bottom line, he's the unquestioned top dog in Minnesota. Minnesota's offense looks like they're going to be pretty powerful. Mm -hmm. And every time Madison's gotten the start in the last couple of years for cook, he has just fucking crushed it. So, you know, hashtag math, let's do it. Yeah. I, I like that. And good for you for being able to say
1: Alexander Madison without singing. Alexander Madison which is really? the, the the challenge for everyone who has made the connection between his name and Alexander Hamilton.
0: Did did you see established the runs like I, video I, I oh, saw oh, that very, and, then I've, and then I and then
1: elsewhere I've heard other people not you know not write a whole song but uh but uh, s- struggle to say his name without singing his name. So uh Let me
0: let me just say this. I I am in the vast minority of people. I I haven't seen it on Broadway, but I did uh, watch it like I've watched the on show on Netflix or whatever. Yeah, on yeah. Disney Plus it was. Okay. I mean, okay, it was you know. Wow, this is a hot take. I mean, all right, it was all right. It was clever, you know. But like, <laughs> ah, ah. I like the I like the one song that the King George sings about. How yes, he's gonna kill yes. everybody. Or that's, whatever. That was,
1: that's that's the highlight. That of was the, the highlight. show. All, all the yeah. jo-
0: all the George stuff is the best stuff. Well, um, like I was I was getting bored. Like I, I'm like I don't need this. Is not something I need to spend you know eight hundred dollars a ticket for. No,
1: all right. I did see it on Broadway. I definitely didn't spend 800. We, uh, fairly late in the run before the pandemic started, uh, was not Lin-Manuel Miranda anymore. It was like the next cast. Um, but, uh, I don't remember what we spent, but it it was worth it. It was, it it was well worth seeing. I would say it is, I I will accept the take that it is not quite as good as the hype, but I think it is just an incredible, an incredible achievement of writing. Yes, by, by yes, Lin Manuel Miranda to agree. have put this whole thing together, um, and and still remarkable when you go back and watch. There's that video on YouTube that you've probably seen of him like performing the opening song for Obama at some function long before the musical was 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 going to open. Like he hadn't finished writing it yet; he was working on it. And he ex- and he explains that I'm doing a musical about uh, a hip hop musical about Alexander Hamilton, and everyone thinks he's joking. And then he performs like the opening song, and people were like really unsure how to take it. Of is this guy serious, or is or is, is he just putting us on? Have you ever seen that video, or am I? I, I
0: haven't, but oh, no, I...
1: it's 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 worth looking up, just sort of, sort of the reactions to it, and sort of the slow realization that oh, this is actually kind of good. <laughs> so um, yeah, all right, but hot right. take from Jeff, uh, right. Hamilton the musical, right. meh, thumb sideways. <laughs> All right, that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks, everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to this week's guest, Davis Maddock. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and Jeff at Jeff Edelstein and follow U.S. Bets at U.S. underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Megaphone, Apple Podcasts, Spotify or anywhere else. And with that, Jeff, please take us out.
0: You know, I, I I can't believe I'm actually saying this out loud as a lifelong New York Mets fan, but the New York Yankees need to sign Shohei Ohtani in the offseason. I mean, this guy, did you see his June, have you like seen these articles about his June numbers? He had a, a .285 OPS plus for the month, one of only 15 people in the history of the sport to do it. Babe Ruth did it six times. Barry Bonds did it five times. A couple of bums like Ty Cobb, Ted Williams did it once. He had 15 home runs in June, along with a 3.26 ERA and 11 Ks per nine innings. Mm. The Angels are four games back in the wild card standings. I mean, what a waste this is. Yeah. And also, let's not forget, he plays he's not even playing for the Dodgers, right? He plays for the Angels. This is and their home games, they may as well start at three in the morning for everyone here on the East Coast, because you know, nobody's I'm not staying up to watch this. For the good of baseball, Otani's gotta come east. He's gotta come to New York. It's the way of the world. And as for my Metzi signing him, I mean, come on, he'd he'd immediately get hurt. That's yeah. exactly what would happen. We all know this. That's the way of the world as well that's it period the end Otani needs to be a Yankee I I, I really if this this is harder for me to say than betting <laughs> one minus 155 but it, it really it needs to happen Otani needs to come to New York he needs to be a Yankee and and for the good of baseball it's got to happen that's it gamble on